1 Corinthians 11, picking up in verse 17 this morning. The message of today, or the title of today's message, is a memorial that matters. A memorial that matters. I know that today, and this weekend, and particularly even tomorrow, we all, as a country, celebrate now Memorial Day. And as we celebrate Memorial Day, it's important that we observe it even as a church. That we pause for a moment and that we do celebrate Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend that speaks about, Memorial speaks about remembrance. When you think about Memorial, you're thinking about remembering. And today we do want to pray. We do want to remember the lives of those men and women, the fallen men and women that have served our country so that we can have our freedom. The lives of the men and women that are veterans and those that are still active military that are serving and pray for our nation. Why don't we stop right now for a moment and pause and we would pray for those families right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Because it was on your word, Lord, that our country was founded and established on these principles. And we ask, Lord, that you would comfort right now the families of those that are mourning. The loss of a son or a daughter or a spouse or a mother or a father who lost their lives fighting for our freedom. Those that are maybe veterans, we pray for them. Those that are active military right now, Lord, we pray for them as well. And we pray for this nation, the nation of the United States of America, Lord. That you would protect it, Lord. That you would, Lord, let us remember, God, that you are the God that formed this nation on the principles of your word, God, that we would go back to that. And it is in your name that we pray. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, Amen. You see, it's important in weekends like these that we remember the lives of, yes, those men and women that, that died for our freedom. Why is that important? Because... Our freedom was not and is not free. And I want you to remember that today. Sometimes we think that freedom is free, but nothing is free. Specifically, our freedom, our freedom is not free. Our freedom came and we have our freedom with a costly price. The Bible tells us in John 15, 13, that greater love has no man than this, then he to, then one would lay down one's life for his friends. There exists no greater love than for someone to lay his life down for his friends. And we know that our freedom wasn't free, that it was a costly, it came with a price. And as we remember now, as we have that Memorial Day, we also want to come to the table of memorial. The table of communion today. The table where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because just like the soldiers and the military and the men and women that have given their lives for our freedom, our physical freedom, for our country, for our liberty, so that we have that freedom that we so choose to enjoy every single day, 
We also had our Savior that died for our spiritual freedom. And it is today at the table of memorial that we celebrate freedom as well. That we remember where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And this must be done the right way. Just like we must celebrate and we must remember the lives of those people that died for our freedom. We must remember the life of Christ that died for our freedom and rose again so that we can live in that freedom. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We have freedom in Christ. There's so much freedom that we can enjoy in Christ because He gave His life for us. Because He died for us. And now what do we have freedom from? We have freedom and deliverance from a life of sin. We have freedom because sin no longer has power over our lives. We have freedom because we are no longer bound to sin. We're no longer bound to death. We have freedom from pain. We have freedom from now that, that resentment. We have freedom from unforgiveness. We can have freedom from bitterness, right? Because of Jesus that died on the cross for us, we can have freedom. And because of that, today we celebrate that freedom. We remember it at the table of communion. What does the Bible say? Not only does it say that we have liberty, we have freedom, but it also says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Yeah, yes, the Spirit operates in freedom, but the Spirit also operates in order. I want you to remember that today. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is also order. A lot of times we think that, you know, the Spirit operates at church. There's so much freedom. We can do whatever we want. There's so much freedom. Yes, He's given you freedom from sin. But He's also the Spirit that also gives you order as a church. Order as a church. And that's exactly why when we come to celebrate freedom at the table of communion and forgiveness of sins and freedom from death and the bondage of sin and freedom from, from hell, right? When we celebrate that at the table of communion, we must do it with reverence and respect. We must remember the past of what Christ did on the cross for us, knowing that we cannot belong to two tables. We cannot belong to the table of the Lord and belong to the table of the world. And I don't know how you grew up, maybe in your faith, or maybe uh, the way you were raised at church, whatever it would be. But sometimes, I'll tell you this, sometimes we can take communion so mechanically. Let me go to church and take communion, and let me just pass the elements, and it's just the little cup and the little bread, and sometimes we look at it like a snack, right? Or we pass the opportunity of participating in communion. Did you know that God, and uh, through His Spirit, His Son, Jesus, he told us that we must do two things, actually. It wasn't about works, but He said, I want you to do two things. I want you to be baptized, and I want you to take communion. See, baptism and communion, they're not suggestions, they're ordinances. God wants you to participate in communion today. He does. God wants you to take a seat at the table of communion. He has reserved a seat for you at the table of communion. But He wants you to do it the right way. He wants you to remember it the right way. We learned last week that the best now form of worship is our obedience. And we must 
We must worship the Lord in obedience, especially at the table of communion. Because it is when you break bread at the table of communion that you break fellowship with the table of the world. You can't belong to two tables. And God is inviting you today. He's pulling out that chair for you when He went to the cross. And He says, I want you to sit at the table of communion. He has RSVP'd for you already when He went to that cross. And He wants you to sit at the table of communion. Have you ever been to a wedding maybe? Or to a ceremony, to a a certain celebration? And when you show up, they have a table reserved for you. (laughs) And not only do they have a table reserved for you, but they maybe even have your name right there, right on the place where you are going to sit. Did you know that God has that place for you in the table of communion? A place just for you at His table. But He must do it the right way. What does the Bible tell us in verse 17? Now in giving these instructions... I do not praise you. He praised them before in the first, cha- first portion of chapter 11. But now I don't praise you. Now he's going to exhort them. He's going to tell them, I'm not going to praise you now when it comes to these things. I'm going to exhort you to do now communion the right way. And it says this, You since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Isn't that such an interesting verse? That when you come to church, you don't come for the better, but you're coming for the worse, Corinthians. Did you know that it's important that we come together? And I want you to underline that verse in your Bible because he is telling them, number one, you should come together. But what is the outcome of when you do come together? What does the Bible tell us about coming together? The Bible tells us that we ought to come together to equip, to encourage, to build one another up. That we ought to come together for the better and not come together for the worse. Not come together for the worse. In Hebrews 10, 25, we see that Paul exhorts us not forsake the assembling of ourselves again together. For those of us that think, oh, I don't have to go to church. The Bible tells us to come to church. Well, I can have a relationship with God in my house all by myself and read and pray and spend time with the Lord. But the Bible tells us to come to church, to come together. We can't be skipping church. We can't be taking days off of church. Yes, the Lord gives us appropriate times to rest and to spend time with our family and maybe to to have those moments which are so needed in life. But it says to come together, assemble yourself together as in the manner of some, but exhort one another as, as so much the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? As you see the day of now Christ coming for His church, we should come together as a church together to be able to encourage and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. But now that we know that we're coming together, the goal is to leave better and not to leave worse. (laughs) See, they were coming together for worse and not for better. And I want you to know today that God's called us to come to church for the better and not for the worse. God's not called you to come to church for division. God's not called you to come to church so you can be angry with your brother or with your sister. He's not called you to come to church so that there would be no order. He's called you to come to church so that you would remember number one thing, the cross. And that's exactly why. But verse 18 says this. For first of all, when you come together, this is what's happening, church. As a church, when you come together as a church, 
Or an ecclesia is a word for church, a gathering, a fellowship, an intimacy, a unity. Think about this. That's what he's talking about. The ecclesia, the united gathered church. I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Why is it that when you guys come together, I hear that there's divisions or there's fractions among you, and I believe it? You see, it's been said before that one of the first sure signs of a sick soul is a divisive tongue. One of the first sure signs of a sick soul is a divisive tongue. What is, has, what, why has God called the ecclesia, the church, together? He has called the church to fellowship, to be intimate, to share. That's what fellowship means. It means to be intimate and it means to share. <laughs> a lot of times we want to come fellowship. I don't want to be intimate and I for sure don't want to share. <laughs> That's not fellowship. Fellowship is being intimate and fellowship is sharing. And that's what he's saying. When you come together, there has to be a unity. And look what he tells us now. And I believe it in verse 19 as he goes on. But what is, he, what is the reason in verse 19 that he tells us? For there must also be fractions. He didn't call them divisions. Think about this. Now he uses the word division into fractions. There are divisions or fractions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. The only good useful purpose now, Church of Corinth, of when you come together and there are these fractions, the only useful purpose for these fractions are that those that are approved may be recognized. You know how you recognize those that are approved, the only useful way of those that are people are being divisive? Is that it tells you and it distinctively shows you and it is obvious now, it is recognized those that are approved. It's obvious those that are obedient Christians by those that are standing out being divisive. He's saying, you know what, these fractions that are among you, the only useful thing are for them is that they're actually making it obvious who are actually obedient Christians. And they use those that are approved. The word approved is important because approved is a word that means trustworthy. These fractions, these divisions, these divisive people that are among you, the only thing that they're useful for is to tell us who are really obeying the Lord and those that are actually approved or trustworthy. Those that can actually be tested for ministry and to be used by God. Those that are approved. Today, are you approved? Are you trustworthy when it comes to... To the word of God and living a life obedient to the Lord. Are you approved? Or are you unapproved? You see? This is what he's teaching us. That you are trustworthy. Approved. Guess what? With your life. With your devotion. Approved by God to serve Him. But here's what he's going to tell them now from verse 20 and on. Yes, you're taking communion. You're doing what God commanded. But you're not doing as God commanded. And I'm going to repeat that because I want us to really hone in on that and glean off of that. They're doing what God commanded, but they're not doing as God commanded. You might be thinking, well, I am doing here now, I am doing everything right. But are you doing all the right things? <laughs> are you? And they might be doing even the right things, but they're not doing them the right way. We have to know how to do them the right way. Fellowship, unity. Verse 20, what he explains himself. Therefore, when you again come together. Did you know that in this portion from verses 17 on in, until chapter 12, he uses the word come together about three to four times when you come together. What is he trying to tell us? To come together. <laughs> to come to church. To fellowship. 
A lot of times, well, I'm not going to go to church today. It looks like it's going to rain. <laughs> Doesn't mean that we're not going to come together. You see these people in these sports arenas and, and, and outdoor events, and they're getting wet, and they're screaming out of the top of their lungs. They do not care that it's raining. <laughs> we as a church should make sure that coming together is a priority. Is coming together a priority for you today? Look what he says now in verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, again, together, one place. I love this. He's promoting unity. Is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? Is it not to have communion? The church... Right here in ancient time, they would take communion not once a month, not the first Sunday of the month, not the last Sunday of the month, not the first Wednesday of the month. It, would, it wasn't like that. Every time they met, they would take communion. Every single time they did church, they would do communion. And look what it says here. When you come, isn't it for the communion? And what is he saying here? When you come, isn't it to have fellowship with God because of what He did for you on the cross? And isn't it so that you can have fellowship with one another because of what He did for you on the cross? You know what communion speaks about? It speaks about fellowship with God and it speaks about fellowship with others. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. That's what I love about how the cross looks. It has a vertical access, right? The cross. A relationship between us and the Lord. But then it has a now a horizontal plane or now it speaks about our relationship with other people. That's what the cross does. And he's saying, isn't it when you come, shouldn't it be all for fellowship? Shouldn't it be all for unity in the Lord's Supper? However... You're not really interested. <laughs> You're not really interested in the cross. You're not really interested in unity, he's saying. And, and he's going to tell us why they're not interested. It says, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? You're not really interested in communion anymore. You're not interested in intimacy at the cross. You don't respect communion. You're not taking this seriously. And that's what he's exhorting them. Are you taking this seriously today? Are you taking communion seriously? Right now, in a few moments, we're going to take communion and we must take it seriously. That this is remembering unity fellowship. This is remembering fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another. Intimacy at the cross of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation, it says, when you meet together, you're not interested in the Lord's Supper. Verse 21, for in eating, each of you takes his own supper ahead of others. Look at this. When you guys come to that Passover meal, you guys are one person eats before the other person, right? And it says, and one is hungry or some people don't even get a chance to participate or to eat the supper. And another person is showing up to church drunk. <laughs> you see that there's no order here? One person is over there taking it by themselves and eating by themselves. Another person doesn't get anything to eat. And another person shows up drunk to take the communion. You see how inappropriate this is? How, how this is not appropriate to do? It's not a, the place or the time for you to show up like this in the flesh to take communion, to disgrace the church of God. I think it's so important that we respect communion. There's so many churches now today that you know what? There's a table in the back on your way out. Just grab the cup and the bread. Just take it and you can go like if it's a sample or something, right? It's not. We have to respect communion. If it wasn't for the cross we would not have the freedom that we celebrate today. We would not have the freedom in our country. We would not have freedom in our salvation. And look what he's telling us now, verse 22. Look how he starts it. This is amazing. Verse 22. What's the first word? What? Exclamation point. Have you ever shown up somewhere walked into something? Maybe as a parent into your child's room and you just yell out, What? Or you walk into something that is so ridiculous and you yell out, what? That's exactly what Paul is doing here. 
What? Exclamation point. In verse 22, do you not, he says, do you not have houses to eat and to drink in here? Or do you not despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Don't you have a house? Why don't you go and do that in that flesh? Go back to your house and do it. Do not disgrace the church of God. Why is it that you're pushing away the poor people, those, or those that are hungry, and they can't participate in the supper, or in Passover, or in the communion with you? Why is it that they cannot do it? Why is it that you're disrespecting this? And he says, you think that I'm going to praise you? Absolutely not. I'm not going to praise you for this. I will not praise you for this. Why? Because they weren't doing this the right way. They were doing what God called them to do, but they were not doing it as God called them to do it. Here the court, the church in Corinth was not sharing in the fellowship together fairly. They were excluding people. Communion never excludes people. We should never say, you know what, we should exclude people. No, it's not for that. And this ancient culture was also extremely class conscious. You know what that means? That, that they had a respect for upper class people. And oh, if, if they were upper class, we get them at the, the front seat of the table to take communion. But if those people don't have any resources, then they sit at the back. But look what he, they were coming to do communion. They were coming with an attitude of selfishness. One comes drunk, one comes drunk. The other comes and takes communion on his own. Others don't leave others to take communion at the supper. There's no unity, there's no fellowship. They were coming with an attitude of selfishness. Today we can't come with an attitude of selfishness. We cannot. Our world, our culture is turning so selfish. But when we come to the cross, the cross is a place of selflessness, not a place of selfishness. Come with an attitude of selflessness, not an attitude of selfishness. And look what he's going to tell us now. Verse 23, this is amazing. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, comma. I receive from the Lord that which I deliver to you. That, that's just beautiful. <laughs> you know what he's saying here? You know what he's teaching us? You can't give someone something you yourself don't have. That's what he's teaching us. You can't give your children a devotional that you haven't had yourself. You can't give someone food that you haven't had yourself. You can't teach someone that, something you haven't learned yourself. You cannot lead someone to a place where you have never been. You can't pass on something that you haven't received. Look at the order of this. I love it. He said, I passed on to you what I received from the Lord. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. He was a steward. What I received from the Lord, I delivered it to you. That's what I gave you. I didn't give you something I never got from God. Have you ever given something to someone that wasn't even from God? I'm, the, I'm the giving you, I'm delivering only what I received. It's not coming from man. It's coming from God. And this is amazing. That the Lord Jesus on the same night which He was betrayed took the bread. I want you to underline on the same night. It wasn't on a different night. <laughs> it was on the same night. This is important for us to know. We always see the pictures, maybe on a living room, maybe on, on a movie, on a film, or, or we always remember this story during right, the Jewish Passover time, or what we know as of Easter, or Resurrection, or Passion Week, right? That the Lord on the same night, why, does this, why is this important? Because this is on the same night with betrayal in mind. This is on the same night with the cross in mind. This is on the same night with... Uh, now, suffering in mind. What did Jesus do here on the same night? Here that he was, 
he was going to be betrayed, he took the bread. He took the bread on the same night that he was going to be betrayed. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What were they celebrating now, Jesus with his disciples? What was he celebrating? He was celebrating the Passover feast. And the Passover feast, as they celebrated it, they were remembering the Jewish people or the nation of Israel, how they were delivered from Egypt now into the promised land, and they were celebrating the Passover feast. Into the promised land, the beginning of the book of Exodus, tell us this. And the Passover feast featured, what, unleavened bread, right? Or bread made with no yeast. Because yeast in the Bible is symbolic of sin. So they're celebrating communion or the Passover with bread that is unleavened or that doesn't rise because of yeast, right? Because yeast is symbolic in the Bible of sin, right? Of corruption. But also because when they exited Egypt, guess what they, they went? They ran for their lives. They didn't have time for the, for the yeast to, to go into the bread and then to rise the dough, right? So they left. They made that unleavened bread. The Lord told them to make it. They exited Egypt now. The bread had no yeast, symbolic of no corruption, symbolic of no sin. But think about this. That bread also had these scorch-marked stripes going on that bread. That was very flat bread. Scorch-marked stripes on that Passover bread. And it had a little holes on that bread. You know, it was, had a little piercings and stripes. Isn't it amazing, that picture of that bread? Wasn't Jesus the bread of life? striped and pierced and broken for our iniquities and our transgressions and because of the stripes on the bread of life and the piercings on Christ on that bread that was broken at the cross me and you can have forgiveness what an amazing picture that by the stripes and by the piercings on the bread of life now me and you can have forgiveness but what did Jesus do on that Passover meal? Deliverance, the symbolic of deliverance. What did he do? This is what he did. It tells us in verse 24 that he gave thanks. You see, Jesus didn't murmur. Jesus didn't complain the same night. He didn't even only endure. Jesus didn't only endure. But he gave thanks. Because he was a privilege. He was glad to do the Father's will. He was glad to suffer on the cross. He was glad to deny himself. The communion here tells us it's a place of thanksgiving. It's a place of self-denial. See, the communion table, it's a, it's a memorial of the past. Because he's going to tell us, do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of the cross. It's a reminder of the central message of the cross. But it's a reminder that Jesus did it with a thankful attitude. He gave thanks. He prayed for what? For a tremendous privilege that he had. Have you ever given thanks to God? I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you give me suffer for my brother's sake. Thank you, Lord. No, we usually say, Lord, take me out of this. I don't want to suffer for that person. Jesus, when he went to the cross, you know what he said? Thank you, Lord, that I have the privilege, tremendous honor of going to die for sinners at the cross like you and like me. What an amazing grace we have here. And this should only, the central thought of this should only now evoke or make us respond in worship. He gave thanks for it. Communion is a place of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. Because you died for me, that you denied yourself for me, that you broke, you were broken for me. But Lord, thank you also 
that I also get to carry my cross. Thank you that I get to carry the cross. Thank you that I get to self-deny myself. Thank you for the tremendous privilege that I get to do this. Verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Look at this. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it. Why remembrance? Because we would never forget what Jesus did on the cross for me. We're quick to forget. That's why we must remember. You know what remember means? It also speaks of taking your mind off of one thing and focusing your mind on another. When we come, we are focusing our mind on the cross. And we're taking our mind off of anything that distracts us to remember, to focus on the cross. The central now aspect of our salvation. The centrality of our salvation, of our Christianity, of our walk with the Lord is the cross. Remember, take your mind on whatever it is and focus your mind on the cross. You know what I love about Hebrews 12 and 2 where Paul tells us now, fix your eyes, look to Jesus. Today maybe you came in and you're looking at every distraction possible to take your mind off of Jesus. But now Paul tells us, put your eyes back onto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the, here we go, joy that sat before him endured the cross. He looked at the cross, he didn't say, get that away from me. <laughs> he looked at the cross and said, I'm going to give thanks and I'm going to do this with joy. I'm going to do this with joy. Have you thought about how the Lord entered the cross? He entered the cross with thanksgiving. And He entered the cross with joy. He didn't carry the cross with a bad attitude. He carried the cross with an attitude of thanksgiving and attitude of joy. How many times have you done discipleship in your life with a bad attitude? Not with joy, not with thanksgiving, but he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. Focus. Remember, take a seat at the table of memorial this memorial weekend. And focus on Jesus. Focus on the freedom. Verse 25, look what he tells us now. In the same manner, he also took the cup of the supper. This is the cup of redemption. There was many cups in the cups of the Passover. This is the cup that symbolized paying the price. Redeeming you from you being a slave. The price of redemption. This is here, here the, the cup the, of the, after the supper saying, This is the new covenant, not the old covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink. Do it in remembrance of me. Take the bread, do it in remembrance of me. Take the cup, do it in remembrance of me. You know what the cup symbolizes? It symbolizes not an old covenant. It symbolizes a new agreement, a new contract, a new promise. A new now covenant between God and His people. An agreement of forgiveness. That the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on the cross for us. And He confirmed that promise with His life. He said, I'm going to put my life on it. Now you are right with God. He didn't say, you're right with God, I promise you. He says, you're right with God, I'll put my life on it. I'm going to shed my blood on it. To forgive you of your sins, do this in remembrance of me. The new covenant is not like the old covenant. The old covenant says, you're good with God because you're good. Because I'm a good person. Because I don't lie. Because I don't cheat. Because I haven't uh, cheated on my spouse. Then I'm going to go, I'm right with God. That's all good works. That doesn't make you right with God. That's the old covenant. The old covenant is based off of just rules and regulations. But the new covenant, guess what? It's based off the grace of God and His blood and His forgiveness. And the new covenant promises eternal life. Did you know that? That God has a promise for you that promises eternal life that you're not right with God through Jesus? It's amazing. Because the old covenant would mean that Moses had to go 
and the high priest would go and intercede for the people of the nation of Israel. And they couldn't come close to God. It said that they could not draw near to God. In fact, in Exodus 24, verse 8, it says, And Moses took the bread and sprinkled it, the blood, I'm sorry, and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. What was it? This was the old covenant. That he had to now sacrifice a lamb, an animal, for the remission of the sins of the people. And that was that old covenant. That Moses or a high priest or someone would intercede for the people. But the new covenant is not based off of that. Check out what the new covenant is based off. It's based off the new covenant. It's based off inner transformation. It's based off of you being cleansed from your sin. Jeremiah 31, 34 tells us, For I will forgive your iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. The new covenant is based off the Lord forgiving you. The new covenant is based off transformation, right? But also the new covenant is based off number two. It's based off His Word and His will in us. It's based off of His Word and His will in your life. That's the new promise. What does it say in Jeremiah 31 now? 33, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts. The new covenant is first about transformation, inner transformation that cleanses us from all our sin through the blood of Jesus. The new covenant is based off number two, about God's word and will in us. The new covenant number three is based off of a new close relationship with God. That's why community is about intimacy. A close relationship with God. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's going to be intimate. It's a close. It's up close. It's personal. There's no mediator now. It's a new covenant. But think about how many people today are living like there's no new covenant. They're living with no transformation. They're living without the word of God. And they were living without close relationship. The whole point of communion, I'll tell you today, is so that you can live a transformed life, number one. The whole point of communion is so that you can have God's word and will in you. And the whole point of communion is so that you can have a close relationship with God. Think about that. It's so that you can have transformed life. It's so that you can have His word and will in you. And it's so that you can have a close relationship with God. Verse 26, let's read this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's dead. You're preaching that the Lord died for you. This is, there's a promise here. Till He comes. This is amazing. The communion table is a place of thanksgiving. The communion table, it's a place of new covenant. And the communion table is a place of promise. You know what the communion table reminds us? That He's coming again. Till He comes. You see, we were talking about it today with our, the, 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 those that serve. That we want to serve the Lord till He comes or till He takes us home. Look what He says. Take this until He comes. The Lord's dead till He comes. Verse 26. It's a place of thanksgiving. It's a place of new covenant. It's a place of promise. Why? Because He's coming again. And when He's coming again, we're going to take communion with Him. In heaven. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that we are going to take communion. We're going to be seated at the communion table of the Lord. And we are going to take communion with Jesus and with the Father together. 
There's not going to be any more sin, no more regret, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more weakness at that table of communion, no more discouragement. Maybe you came in with discouragement. There's not going to be no more discouragement, no more ignorance of I didn't know, no more empty places at the dinner table anymore. Because you're going to be with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Till He comes, we will be together with the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this tell us about communion? That at communion, we can look back to the cross and we can look forward to heaven. We can look back at the cross and we can look forward with a tremendous hope of heaven till He comes. What is it? Matthew 26, 29 says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He told them, I'm not going to drink it again until I drink it with you. Revelation 19, 7 says this, Let us be glad. Come on, rejoice, people, and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and let her wife make herself ready. Now the marriage of the supper of the Lamb has come. We are the bride of Christ and in heaven. The supper, the celebration, the ceremony, the reception is ready. Come and be married to now the groom Christ. We are His bride. We can look back to the cross so we can look forward to heaven. See, heaven, when you go to think about it now, it's not only a destination. Heaven is also a motivation. Are you motivated today by heaven? Or what motivates you? Because when you come to the communion table, you're feasting off of Jesus. You're feasting off of His grace, His care, His faithfulness. You're feasting off of His love, His commands, His word. And you, you begin to realize, I have to obey Him. You, 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 our minds, our soul, our wills are feasting off of the Lord Jesus when we come to communion. Where are you feasting off of today? Where is your hunger and your thirst quenched today? You know where it really is quenched is at the table of communion. Because that's where the Lord said, come to me. Those that are weak, those that are struggling, those that are heavy laden, those that are going through problems and tribulations and, and trials, come to me and you will find rest. He wants you to feast and to feed off of Him at communion. Let's read 27 and on quickly as it says, Therefore whoever takes and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner. You have to self-examine yourself, he's saying. You know what makes you worthy? Not yourself. What makes you worthy is being forgiven by Jesus. Do it in a worthy manner, not in an unworthy manner. Don't be guilty of sinning against now the body of Christ. Because we can be just like the disciples. They went and they had the Lord's Supper, right? They came together at the Lord's table that night. And then they left as the disciples did and denied Him. A lot of times we come, we take communion, but then we leave and deny Him. We should not do that. That's what the disciples did. There is a lesson there. But here he's telling us, prepare your heart, prepare your conduct to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. In a manner saying, I'm forgiven. In a manner saying, I came to confess. In a manner saying, I came to repent. In a manner saying, I came to make things right with God, right? In a manner that makes you worthy at the cross. Examine your life. And it tells us now in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine and then eat and take. Why is he saying examine and eat and take? He didn't say examine and then don't eat and take. <laughs> A lot of times that's what we do when we come to church. I'll tell you. We examine ourselves and we say, you know what? I'm unworthy to take communion. So I won't take communion today. And I'll just pass 
the table of communion. No, he said, examine yourself and then take it and eat it. Why? Because when you examine yourself, you're also saying, is there anything unconfessed that I need to confess and make things right with God? Is there any unforgiveness, any bitterness? This is not written to exclude people. This is written so that we can say, I'm going to come in a worthy manner and I'm going to confess. I'm going to come in a worthy manner. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to prepare my heart to receive with the right heart. I'm going to self-examine. I'm going to do some heart searching. This is the verse is not written as a barrier to take you away from communion. A lot of people read this verse. You know what? I'm not going to take communion then. No, he's saying examine yourself and then take it. Examine yourself and go to the cross for forgiveness. Examine yourself and ask, repent. Examine yourself, make things right with God. Because it's examination that brings fruitful participation. When you examine yourself, it should make you want to participate because you can come to the cross. Is anything hindering you from coming to the table of communion? He's saying here now. Do we have to confess when we examine? This should drive us to the Lord to confess, to repent, so that our hearts can be now melted at the cross and saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm examining myself. I need Jesus. Lord, forgive me. I want to take communion. Why? Because the Lord is concerned about your holiness. And He has made a place for you at the table of communion, at the memorial table of communion. Psalms 32 verse 5 said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess my transgressions, and you forgive my iniquity of my sins. It's been said before that the man that does not take inventory finally becomes bankrupt. The man that does not take inventory finally becomes bankrupt. Are you bankrupt today, spiritually? Because you haven't taken inventory, you haven't examined yourself? Lord, help us examine ourselves today. That we would take inventory and we would confess and make things right. Verse 29, For he who drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's death. Whoever does it does not discern the Lord's death. Whoever is doing this is really now stubbornly unrepentant and taking. You're mocking what Jesus did on the cross. You're saying, I don't need forgiveness. I don't need, I'm good in it myself. When you examine yourself, you're saying, Lord, I want to make things right. Because we have to ask yourself, am I receiving communion with a right conduct in a way that's honoring God? Am I doing this as God told me to do it? For this reason, many are weak and are sick among you and many sleep. It says, verse 30, many people are falling into the judgment here in Corinth. Of the Lord's now discipline. Why is the Lord disciplining these people? Because they are now being a disgrace to what the Lord did for them. And they're living now in a way now in where they disrespect or they have no regard for the cross. And they are acting as if they're living for the Lord when their, their life is saying they're really not. Now examine yourself so that you don't have to be disciplined by God. You know how you dis you're disciplined or chastised by God? We don't examine ourselves. Examine yourself so that you ought to be disciplined by God instead of being condemned with the world He's going to tell us. For if we would judge ourselves, if you examine yourselves, we would not be judged. Why don't you just make things right with God and you examine yourself so that you don't have to be judged and disciplined and chastened by God and the world. Examine yourself today. That's what He's telling us. Verse 30 now too. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. We're disciplined by the Lord. And we may not be condemned with the world. God is disciplining His church. And He does discipline His church. But why does He discipline the church? So that the church would not be condemned with the world. 
I rather receive the discipline from God than the condemnation from the Lord with the world. Would you not receive the discipline from God rather because you are His child and be condemned with Him with those that are not His children? Because they have chosen that route? Right? Now it says, but if anyone is hungry, now, no, verse 33, I'm sorry. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together again, come together, not if you come together, but when you come together to eat, wait for, here we go, one another. We have to really pay attention to the one another's in the Bible. There's so many one another's in the Bible. Wait for one another. What does it mean? Unite. Don't divide. Don't divide. And look what he's going to tell us now. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment and, re and the rest... I will set in order when I come. What is he telling us here now? I'm going to set in order the rest of the things that I have for you church in Corinth when I come. But I, don't, I want you to wait for one another. One another. What does the Bible tell us about one another? Is that we ought to love one another. The table of communion is for unity with the Lord. Making things right with God. But the table of communion is also for making things right with one another. The Bible tells us in John 13, 34 to end. And now I give you a new commandment. Love, here we go, one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What is communion for? It's for confession. It's for repentance. It's for forgiveness. It's for coming to the table and saying, I'm going to examine myself because the Lord cares about my holiness and I'm also going to take communion because He wants me to do it, but He wants me to do it the right way. What's the right way? Come in confession. Come in repentance. Come asking for forgiveness. Making things right with the Lord. Letting nothing make you unworthy to take communion. What makes you worthy? Forgiveness makes you worthy. Grace makes you worthy. Mercy makes you worthy. Yes, I'm an unworthy sinner, we can all say. But at the cross, I am clothed with the righteousness of God. And I am worthy to come and be united, to be up close and personal. I am now in the new promise that the Lord is coming again. I know that His word and His will is in me because of the new covenant of communion. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We ask for Your word, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that the table of communion is a place of thanksgiving. That the table of communion is a place of new promises. That the table of communion is a place where I can have a close and intimate relationship with you, Lord. But I pray, Lord, and we ask together as a church, God, that if there's anything that we have to, Lord, ask for forgiveness. If there's anything that we have to repent from. If there's anything, Lord, that we have to come, Lord, and make right with you, that we would do it. Because that's what makes us worthy. The cross makes us worthy. The blood makes us worthy. We don't want to leave not taking communion because that's saying we don't want to be up close and personal with you. We don't want to leave taking it the wrong way. We want to do this the right way, Lord. And we ask God that you would allow us to examine ourselves. Is there something in us right now that Maybe a standing away of transformation, standing in the way of the Word of God, standing in the way of maybe new promises.